Recognize that so often the greatest blocker that you're likely facing is not that you don't know how. You know how to delegate. Come on, you're better than that. You know how to do it. The issue is that you haven't gotten your heart bought into why it matters and also you haven't properly identified what's actually blocking you. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. I want to start today by talking about a challenge that I believe all impact-driven leaders face, and I believe it may be one of the greatest obstacles that you have to overcome if you want to create an organization, create a team that practices healthy growth. It's the impact-driven leader's greatest challenge. The fact that your ability to create opportunity massively exceeds your ability to delegate it. I'm going to say it again, and I'm talking to you. Your ability to create opportunity massively exceeds your ability to delegate it. And I think so many of us hear that and probably resonate with it. I wrote that down. I was like, oh my gosh, that is so true of me that, man, I have no issue coming up with ideas, coming up with new opportunities, coming up with new projects that we should be working on. Seriously, I'll go take a shower. And by the time I get out of the shower, 10 minutes later, I've got three new business models in my head of what we should be doing. And that's not the issue. The issue is not the ideas. The issue is not the opportunities that I can create. The issue is my ability to translate the those ideas, those opportunities, those projects into work that isn't just done by me. And so we resonate with that and we say, okay, that that makes sense to me that I'm way better at creating opportunity than I am at delegating it. But what's so interesting is so many of us still struggle with delegation. I've worked in the leadership development space for almost a decade now. And one of the things that I've recognized as a trend across all of the demographics that I've worked with, different industries, different stages, I've taught leadership to high school students all the way up to CEOs with thousands of team members who report in some way up to them. And one of the things that I've always seen as a trend is that we all know that we should delegate, but so often we struggle and fail to do it effectively. We know what we should do, but we don't do it. And one of the things that I thought early on in my career was that the reason why we didn't delegate effectively was because we didn't know how. And I operated with that belief for a while. And as a coach, I would bring that belief system into my coaching calls. And one of the things that I almost immediately recognized after a while of walking through that belief system is that it's not a how issue, it's a heart issue. Because I would see people go through extensive delegation courses and go through delegation content and gain competency around the effective ways to delegate and around how you could properly hand things off by doing it and then documenting it and then making sure you delegate it, as Chris Ronzio would say, and making sure you're walking alongside people and operating in patience and operating kind of at their pace so that they can take on new responsibility. People intellectually and logically and practically know how But even after knowing how, they still wouldn't do it. And I would just look at them and I'd be like, what is going on here? Because I thought it was a how issue. And I had to learn it's not a how issue. It's a heart issue. And we need to recognize, and we just wrote this in a Worth It Wednesday recently, 
is that it's not a rational thing. It's an emotional thing. So if you or if someone on your team is really, really struggling to hand off responsibility that you know you should hand off, recognize that so often the greatest blocker that you're likely facing is not that you don't know how. You know how to delegate. Come on, you're better than that. You know how to do it. The issue is that you haven't gotten your heart bought into why it matters and also you haven't properly identified what's actually blocking you. But it's so important that we examine this question of what are the enemies of delegation, and that's what we're going to focus on for the totality of today's episode, because the dangerous part is that in the absence of proper delegation, the impact-driven leaders that I know don't just say, okay, well, I'm at capacity, so I can't take on anymore, and I can't create opportunity because I don't know how to effectively hand it off. No, they fail to effectively hand things off in such a way that it can be sustained by someone else. but. At the same time, they take on new opportunity because there's so many of you right now that you're at capacity right now. But if I also had also asked you three years ago, you would have also said you were at capacity then. And since three years ago, you've taken on more opportunity, more ideas, more projects. And, and that's what we have to focus on is the fact that if you're at capacity, we've got to figure out a way to increase your competence with regard to delegation and make you better and more effective and more able and, and more talented at doing that so that you're able to express and exercise that muscle of creating and generating and chasing new opportunity. But there's three things that I want us to focus on before we jump into the six enemies. And it's three things that are related to what the leader who's practicing healthy growth is keenly aware of. These are three things that we all have to reckon with and some of us have to wrestle with if we're ever going to start approaching this conversation around delegation in an effective way. So the leader practicing healthy growth is keenly aware of, number one, their finite capacity. Hopefully this isn't news to you. You are a human being. <laughs> that means you are limited. You are finite. You only have 168 hours a week. Also, you need eight hours of sleep a night. And I know some people may say, well, I do just fine with four. I, <laughs> I don't buy it. I don't buy it. My bet is that your memory, your aptitude, your relational ability, your temper, your attitude, all of those things would increase if you actually got the amount of sleep that you actually need. So I, I don't know that I buy it, but you also need to eat healthy food. You also need to have things in your life that aren't work. You also need to have relationships outside of your office. And so we need to recognize you are a finite human being that has limitations and has needs, and those were put in place on purpose. And so don't play God and try to be infinite whenever you know you're finite. So the leader practicing healthy growth is keenly aware of their finite capacity. Number two, others' remarkable ability. We're going to talk about this some as we kind of undermine and dig into the enemies that keep people from delegating well. But sometimes the thing that a leader is lacking that keeps them from delegation is their own lack of belief in the people that are around them. We said this in the coaching series over and over and over again. What is the highest calling of a leader? The highest calling of a leader is to unleash the best in others. And what's so neat about that understanding of leadership is that if you subscribe to it, you're constantly looking around and seeing people whose best is inside of them and it just has to be brought out of them. But sometimes 
we see leaders or we coincide with leaders or if we're not if we're not careful we will be leaders that view people as a five and therefore people never exceed the capacity or competency or passion level of a five but what happens whenever you start seeing people as tens right what happens if you start to walk around and say man you may be acting like a 6 but i know there's a 10 in there somewhere and we're going to get you there it changes your entire outlook and so the leader practicing healthy growth is aware of their finite capacity but also they're keenly aware of others remarkable ability they know man there's something great inside of that person that if i lead effectively i could be a part of the process of bringing that out of them now make no mistake that person has to be a part of that process too but you could be a part of it. So finite capacity, remarkable ability. Let's move to the final one. The leader practicing healthy growth is keenly aware of delegation as a developmental opportunity. We've talked about this before on this podcast, that delegation is not strictly a time management tool. Delegation is a people development tool. I will tell you, if you want a strategy for developing followers into leaders on your team, don't give them books, don't give them podcasts, don't sit down and have a bunch of one-on-one meetings, give them work, give them responsibility, give them opportunity to actually lead because that's where the greatest development will come from. It's experiential learning. I just believe that action so often precedes insight. And so therefore, you need to give people the opportunity to take action by handing off real and true responsibility. People all the time complain, oh man, my team just doesn't have an ownership mentality. I want them to have an ownership mentality. And one of the things that a leader so often needs to recognize with regard to their team acting like owners, acting self-employed, is you only take ownership of something that you feel responsible for. And if you're hoarding responsibility as an owner, your people will never take ownership. I mean, this is why, man, when I wash my car, I take way better care of it. When I buy a book, I'm so more likely to read it right? Because I have some ownership of it. And so you need to grant the same level of ownership to the people that you lead. You need to give them real responsibility. And you need to view delegation not as just something to get tasks off your plate. That's kind of a selfish improvement way of doing things. View it as an opportunity and a means for developing people, for giving people opportunity so that they can exceed their current capacity and take on more responsibility. And so often with responsibility, we find freedom and find meaning. So you've got the opportunity to help them step into a new version of who they were created to be. That's what delegation is. And man, when we point our eyes at that reality, it just becomes so much more invigorating. And I want that for you, but even more than I want it for you, I want it for your team. So let's review those real quick, and then we're going to jump into the enemies of delegation that we so often face. The leader practicing healthy growth is keenly aware of their finite capacity. They're keenly aware of others' remarkable ability, and they're keenly aware of delegation as a development opportunity. Now, it's within that context that hopefully we're bought in to the idea that, man, if I'm way better at creating opportunity than properly delegating it, then I need to get better at delegating it. And that's what our goal is, right? If we're saying here is I'm not good at this, there is I want to be really, really exceptionally good at this. I want to be the type of person that can train people and develop people and invest in people and hand off real responsibility so I can chase new opportunities so that our organization never stagnates, never becomes complacent 
because it's always focusing on never-ending improvement and because you're actually able to play the role that leaders are designed to play, which is to look above and ahead of where the business currently is so you can't be in the weeds, so you're going to cut out all the weeds from your schedule, from your time, from your energy. Okay, if that's where we want to go, then we have to focus on how we get there. And the things that we're going to have to scale to get there are what I would call enemies. Because there are some things that are staring at you right now where you currently are that want to keep you from being an effective delegator, that want to keep your business from moving forward. And I'll tell you what I've experienced after years of owning a business myself now and training and leading and coaching other business leaders around the country how to do this, one of the things that I've learned is that the greatest enemies are not external. The greatest enemies are internal. And so if you want to be a leader that effectively gains competence in the arena of delegation so that others may benefit, well, then you're going to have to conquer some internal enemies. And the person you're going to war with is not anyone in your organization. It's not anyone outside of your organization. It's the guy that's in the mirror. It's the woman that's in the mirror. And so that's what we're going to focus on is the internal enemies that we need to conquer in order to grow in the arena of delegation. Because my bet is you know how to delegate. And if you don't know how to delegate, there's a billion books out there on how to delegate. My bet is that you're currently being conquered by some of these enemies, and these enemies are keeping you wrapped into where you are today and therefore rendering it impossible to move forward. So we're going to walk through the enemies one at a time, but let me give them to you first. Insecurity of the leader, pride of the leader, aimlessness of the leader, distrust of the leader, impatience of the leader, and perfectionism of the leader. (laughs) I will tell you, as I was writing the content for this episode and thinking about this, I was in a coffee shop, and it was maybe the most convicted that I've ever been, because this content is pretty convicting. And I will tell you, if this content isn't convicting, you may not be leading. So this should give us a little bit of a spur in our saddle a little bit and get us to want to move forward a little bit because, man, we come face to face with the bucket of cold water of the enemy that's currently crushing us. And so I want you to be humble enough and I want us all to be open enough to evaluate these enemies and say, which is the one that I am most susceptible to? And if you're like me, you'll say, okay, well, it's not one. There's a cocktail of about three or four of them that I've got to work on. But but we're going to dig into these, and I want to give you the handles to identify it because one of the principles we talk about all the time is you will never fix what you refuse to see, and you will never conquer what you don't confront. So you could deny all these enemies. That's fine. I just probably wouldn't continue listening to the podcast. But if you want to move forward, if you want to grow, and certainly if you want to practice healthy growth, then it's time to name the enemies, it's time to own the enemies, and it's time to start conquering them. And we're going to talk about how to do that. So first enemy, the insecurity of the leader. If your identity is tied to your to-do list, you can't fathom handing off responsibility. I'll tell you, I faced this one uh, just the other day. I was in a leadership team meeting with myself and Zach, who's our COO, and Olivia, who's our coaching manager. And we had met for about 90 minutes, and we had ran through our strategic priorities, and we had talked through the issues that we needed to discuss and solution. And it was out of that that we always leave meetings with the decisions we need to make and the actions that we need to take. And we had a list of things that had to get done, and we always list the owners who's going to be doing all those things. 
And what was crazy is, man, Olivia had like five or six things that she was going to be running after. And Zach had five or six things that he was going to be running after. And I looked at my name and I had one thing next to my name and it wasn't even a big thing. And at first I felt not good. And I was like, that's not okay. I can't do that. And I almost spoke up and said, I need to take on more than that. And what I would tell you is that need to speak up, that need to take on more would not have been rooted in me saying, oh, I need to humbly serve this organization. It would have been rooted in my insecurity and my need to feel validated by the fact that I had things to do. Now, make no mistake, I have things to do, but man, if it's not reflected on that list, then I was like worried, okay, maybe I'm not actually leading this organization. And man, that's just a lie. It's not true. Because what do the most effective leaders do? Well, they hand off responsibility. What do the most effective leaders do? They empower others to make decisions and to take actions so that they can go chase new opportunity and create new vision and make sure that the overarching big picture of the organization is in a place that's healthy and sustainable and growing in a manner that actually aligns with the mission of the organization. And the leaders who bog themselves down with a to-do list because they can't fathom being someone whose to-do list isn't incomprehensively long are the leaders who are dwelling in a state of deep-seated insecurity. Your identity is not tied to your to-do list. But some of us, if our to-do list got shorter, although we say we want that, that would be a nightmare for us because we would have to come face to face with the fact that, oh, we're actually pretty dispensable. And we've actually done what we set out to do where we've handed off responsibility. And now we're just kind of twiddling our thumbs and I can't deal with that. Now, what we're gonna talk about is creating some aims so you're not twiddling your thumbs, but recognize that one of the blockers you may be experiencing that's keeping you from delegating real responsibility is you have this need to hold on to responsibility because it makes you feel valuable. Listen, you're secure, you're stable, you're valuable without your to-do list. I want you to hear that because if you hear that and if you understand that and if you internalize that, it will give you the ability to hold your to-do list with a loose grip and say, okay, my name doesn't have to be attached to every action and every decision that occurs in the organization. I can actually hand that off. We've got to conquer the enemy of insecurity. Okay, let's move to the next one, the pride of the leader. Listen to me. If you lack humility, you will view your capacity as unlimited and never need to delegate. Sometimes I think we call pride optimism. And here's what I mean by optimism. It's the person at the buffet that stacks their plate so high and never in a million years would be able to eat all of that food. This was me as a kid. We would go to this great place. Man, I... <laughs> I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I just thought of it and I want to talk about it. It was this great Chinese place. I think it was on El Camino, if you're listening to this in Clear Lake, Texas. And it was called Oriental Gourmet. And man, I'm sure you've been to a Chinese buffet like this. I think it's the one place that my parents could take me that they're like, okay, we know Alex will leave full from Oriental Gourmet. And it was something like, I mean, kids eat for like $3 or something. And so I would just like start with my plate, just pile on white rice, right? And then stir fry and then chicken 
chicken wings and there would always be these things that it's like you got all the Chinese food and then randomly you've got like pizza as well and and you've got fruit and you've got man just all sorts of different stuff and then like maybe a few shreds of lettuce on the side and I would just mound up my plate and I could even go get a second plate so I don't know why I would be so conscious about mounding it to the point where walking back to the table I had to like balance it right I was just like swerving back and forth trying to balance it all these little fried rolls that they would do oh those things are probably so bad for you they're literally like soaked in oil right they'd be rolling off the plate right and and I'd always get back to the table and I'd never be able to finish it I would never finish it that's what I'm talking about optimism that maybe could actually be called pride because how many of you are leaders that are overly optimistic with what you can actually finish or what you can actually accomplish <laughs> now you get what I'm talking about. And then you do exactly what I do at Oriental Gourmet. You absolutely stuff yourself till you're miserable. And then you say, well, the ice cream's free, so I've got to get some ice cream as well. That's you as a leader saying, well, there's still some opportunity with this customer. Or there's still that really cool project. or There's still that really cool idea. And although I feel miserable, I can't just let it sit there and be cool and not actually act on it. So I've got to do it. It's pride. You're not viewing yourself accurately. And humility is to have an accurate viewpoint of oneself. And so what do we want to do? Well, we want to be right-sized. We want to have an accurate understanding of what we can actually handle. Now, I want to tell you real quick on this point about one of my fears related to what we talk about at Path for Growth a lot. We spend a lot of time talking about the topic of healthy growth, and it's one of our top three distinguishing factors in the marketplace, we believe. We've spent a lot of time talking about that. Man, we're going to double down on the message of healthy growth because it's so important to me and the other people in our business, but it's also so important for the impact-driven leaders that we work with. And so we're always going to present things through the lens of healthy growth. Here's my fear is that people focus so much on the health side of things that they don't focus on the growth side of things. And the picture of health that can be presented by culture today is often wrong. Like when we're talking about health and when I'm talking about health on here, I'm not talking about you going to the beach for three months and never actually taking on any responsibility and just having absolutely zero cares in the world and not really contributing anything as a result. <laughs> I don't believe that's actually healthy at all, right? So make no mistake, when I talk about healthy growth, we're going to work because I think work is part of being healthy and we're going to hustle and we're going to grow and we're going to expand our capacity. We're constantly going to be riding that line of what's possible and what's not possible because that's where we grow, right? That's where we expand. That's where we build resiliency is not when we do things that are easy, but when we do things that are hard and prove to ourselves that we can do them or we learn from our mistakes. So, so we want to be moderating this line of capacity pretty intentionally and deliberately. I don't want you to be under capacity all the time because then you're going to become soft. You're going to become stagnant. You're going to become weak. And man, weak people don't serve very well. So I don't want you to be weak. I want you to be strong. But it's within that that so many of you that I'm talking to right now, you're not moderating that line of capacity. You crossed it about five years ago. And you know who you are. You're doing a lot of things that you have no business doing that other people could be doing or should be doing. But because you think you do it so well, you believe you can't hand it off. 
And I will tell you what I have noticed in my time working in leadership for a very, very long time is that there are actually very, very, very few things that literally can't be handed off. And maybe so much, I don't have proof for this quite yet, but it's been something that I've been studying a lot. Maybe just about anything, if you have enough time, can actually be handed off and trained to the right person. And so, man, if you think you've got something that you can't hand off because you're literally the only person that can do it, you're saying, man, I'm one in a billion. Do you really think that? You really think you're one in a billion, that you have, man, this one specific gift and talent that it's like, because I've got this, this will never be able to be handed off. I don't feel too good about that belief. I would way rather you believe this can be handed off. It's just going to take time. It's just going to take energy. We're going to have to work really hard to find the right person. We're going to have to develop people. I'm going to have to be patient because that's a more humble viewpoint. Number one, the insecurity of the leader. Number two, the pride of the leader. Number three, the aimlessness of the leader. I want you to listen to me. If you don't have a vision for what's in the future, you won't have the courage to let go of what you are currently focused on in the present. I'm going to say it again. If you don't have a vision for what's in the future, you won't have the courage to let go of what you are currently focused on in the present. One of the things that I'm so grateful for is that I get to work with so many outrageously incredible, high-capacity, high-caliber leaders that are quite older than me. I get to work with people that are in their 50s and 60s going on 70, and, and it's just such a gift because those are the customers that so often when I get to spend time with them, I just find myself leaving saying, I got the way better end of this deal. And sure, I can bring some things to the table from my experience working at Ramsey Solutions and owning this business and what I'm learning building a crappy startup and also leadership development and personal growth is my full-time job. So it's what I'm focused on all the time. And some of them are working in industries where that's not the case. And so I'm able to bring something to the table. But man, I often leave saying they brought way more than I did. I, I just got such a good end of this deal because they are just so wise and so experienced and they've seen some stuff that I just couldn't have seen at this point. And so it's such a gift. But one of the things that I've seen in concentrated form with the people that are in their 50s and 60s that I believe actually applies to everyone is is that the people who really struggle with the idea of retirement or the idea of succession planning or the idea of handing off the business or the idea of selling the business, the leaders that I work with that struggle with that the most are the ones that don't have a vision that they're excited about for what they will do afterwards. And that makes sense to me. If I don't have a vision of where I would go after I sold the business, after I transitioned this role, after I handed off some of this responsibility. If I don't have a vision for what's ahead of me, why would I ever leave? Because vision is courage inducing, right? Vision is what gives you hope. Vision is, man, where we're at today is not what it could be. And man, if what we're going into is worse than where we currently are, why would we ever leave where we currently are? And so as a leader, recognize that you've got to cultivate a vision for your responsibilities that are better than where you currently are, and that is on you. 
And you can work with people to do that. That's what we get to do as coaches. We get to say, man, open your eyes. The things that you're holding on to right now that feel good and comfortable, man, the best is yet to come. If you would just open your eyes and realize all the opportunity and all the vision and all the creativity that lies in front of you, man, whether that's in retirement, whether that's in handing off some of your responsibilities so you can take on a new role, whether it's you hiring a CEO so you can operate as the president of the organization, there's just so much that you could do if you just freed up some of your time. And we got to give people the aim, right? But without that aim, without that understanding that, oh man, better is possible. I just have to go hunt it down. Then why would you ever leave where you're at, right? Why would you ever leave territory that you're comfortable with for territory that would be worse? You got to cultivate a vision. You got to cultivate an aim. And so if you're struggling with delegating responsibility, it might be because you're so familiar with the responsibility you have now and you have no vision for the responsibility you would have in the future. And maybe it would be wise to wrap your head around the responsibility that you would have or that you would want to have in the future. What would that look like? What would that be? How would you spend your time? get clear about it. Spend some time journaling or talking to someone about it. Because what I've noticed is that in the 50 and 60 year olds, just because they've been doing this for a while, that challenge occurs in a very concentrated way, but it occurs for everyone. And I see it for myself. Anytime I feel like I need to hand off responsibility, I'll feel this twinge of, oh, can I do that? Because that's so familiar and comfortable. And I don't know where I'll spend my time if I hand that off. Well, it means that I need to have some vision for where I'll spend my time. Because man, there's so many things to spend my time on. There's so many things. So we need to have abundance mindset, not scarcity mindset with regard to our contribution. You got to cultivate some aim. Insecurity of the leader, pride of the leader, aimlessness of the leader. Let's move to the next one. Distrust of the leader. If the leader distrusts their team for rational or irrational reasons, they won't be able to delegate. Let's break this down. Distrusting your team for rational reasons. Maybe you have hired people. Maybe you have people on your team that lack integrity or lack competency, and so therefore, you don't feel as though you can trust them. And we could say that's a team issue, and in reality, I think that's your issue. Because who hired those people? (laughs) And who is continuing to employ those people? And so, if you're distrusting people for rational reasons, like, man, I don't believe they have the integrity or I don't believe they have the competency for me to be able to effectively hand this off, all you're saying is, I did a poor job of hiring whenever we brought that person on board, or I've done a really bad job of developing. That could be true as well. But those are rational reasons. We just better own the fact that the rational reasons are your fault, right? (laughs) To, To be very clear about it. I'm talking to myself too. Let's be very real. But then there's irrational reasons. Some of you aren't trusting people and it's not a them thing, it's a you thing. And it's because you struggle with control. And what I will tell you is if you want your business to grow, your level of control has to decrease. Because if the level of control you have over your business increases proportional to the growth of your business, the other thing that will increase in proportion to both of those things is your stress level. 
you will go bonkers and you will find yourself in your bed at 11 o'clock at night and you've already been in bed for an hour but you can't fall asleep because you have so many open loops in your head of things that have to be addressed, things that have to be corrected, things that have to be acted upon. And so I will tell you, again, I've been doing this for a very, very long time. The advice that I have heard myself and I will always give to others is if you are someone who is struggling sleeping because of things going on at work, you need to ask yourself the question, what would it look like to start trusting people 10% more? And that could look like you need to get some new people or it could look like you need to loosen your grip. And this is going to connect to a lot of what we talk about in the final two enemies. But man, your distrust of people is counter to your desire to grow your business. Now, if you want to retain complete control of your organization, that's totally fine. And that's all right. There are some people that do that. I would just say, don't focus so much on scalability. Because scalability rooted in that idea is a release of control from the leader. Because if you retain control, you are operating counter to the, your desire to scale. And you are actually your greatest enemy. And so if you want complete control and you can't envision a future, I've worked with so many leaders and I've coincided with leaders and I've learned from leaders who say, you know, I just realized 10 people was about my capping point because I really like control. And anytime we got past 10, I wasn't able to have my eyes into the day-to-day -day interactions. And so therefore I just said, okay, we're going to, we're going to kind of level off and just constantly improve and double down on where we're at with 10 people. Way better to say that than to supposedly want something else and then act against it. You got to deal with your distrust of people. Insecurity of the leader, pride of the leader, aimlessness of the leader, distrust of the leader. Let's go through two more. Impatience of the leader. If the leader is unwilling to slow down in order to speed up, they will not delegate. Oh boy. Uh, I just know because I know some of you that are listening to this right now and you know that I'm thinking about you. This is the one you struggle with. <laughs> okay, so, so let's get our hearts and heads wrapped around why patience matters because we all know patience is a virtue. Just most of us, it's a virtue that we don't have, right? Okay, so why do you got to be patient? Well, Man, I'll never forget. This is, I was thinking about this on a run the other day. Uh, it's my first memory of uh, me becoming friends with Zach Estes, who is now our COO. Uh, he came in and we had lunch one day and he was talking about work and his perspective and paradigm around work. And I'll never forget, he started using this analogy and he used it throughout our time working together at Ramsey and he continues to use it today. Although I feel like I reference it more than him today, which maybe I need to get on him about that. He, he needs to up his personal brand in that area. But he says, man, Alex, work is like an Allen wrench. And if you want to move forward a little bit, you only have to pull back a little bit. But if you want to move forward a lot, you're going to have to be willing to pull back a lot. Because when you pull back a lot, what do you gain? You gain the leverage and the strength to be able to pull forward massively. That's a pretty good analogy. The people you're delegating to and the things that you're handing off and the way that you're thinking about delegation as development it's an Allen wrench. And if you pull back a little bit and you say, okay, I'm just going to spend, you know, 15 minutes showing you how to do this thing. Well, don't be surprised when you're not able to pull forward that much. And so if you're going to hand off some real responsibility, take time to pull back all the way. Invest the time and the energy to slow down and say, we're not even going to teach you and train you how to do this right. 
and make sure you understand how to do it, we're going to teach you and train you how to do it exceptionally well. And it's not to say that they're going to be better than you right off the bat because they won't. And we're going to address that here in the final one as well. But man, so often I see that people get frustrated at the person that they're delegating to because they're not performing to their standards. And that person has no clue what those standards are or the best practices for accomplishing them. I struggle with this. I struggle with this all the time. I think I've used it as an example on this before. Whenever we first started handing off our office hours conversations to other coaches in our organization, those are casual yet intentional conversations that occur twice a week and everyone in our membership community is invited to them. And my impatience put me in a position where whenever I first started handing those off, I just said, okay, well, just run the conversation the way I would. And and man, credit to Kelly and Olivia and the other people on our team, Zach has run it before as well, who were just like game on. They're like, okay, we'll do it. And that's the way most of your people are too. They're positive, they're engaged, they want to be successful and they're just like game on. They're like, okay, I'm gonna go for it. I know you're busy, so I don't wanna take too much of your time. I'm just gonna go for it. And then I would show up to office hours and and it wasn't bad. It just wasn't the way I would do it. I'd be like, what is going on? What is happening right now? Like, why is this so hard? It's because this isn't their fault. This is your fault fault because you've been doing this for six years like what how on earth would they know how you think about what you do and why you do what you do because they watch recording you're an idiot (laughs) and so I had to say okay it's time for me to slow down it's time for me to be more patient and it's time for me to write down what I want and what I do to get those desired results and the best practices and processes that I've seen. And now we've got a three-page document that qualifies the success statements, what winning looks like for office hours, that qualifies the steps and process that we go through to lead an effective office hours conversation. And then it defines the rules for flow for how to keep a conversation moving forward in an effective way. And we've got that three-page document. And you know what's crazy is I'll never forget. I, I finally was patient enough to sit down and write that document. It probably took me an hour and 15 minutes of really focused, deep work time, no phone, no distraction saying, okay, what's actually going on here that makes office hours effective and what am I looking for? And then I gave, I think it was Kelly, that document and I showed up to the next office hours and she led and she crushed it. Like she did it better than I could. And I just looked at it, I was like, oh my God, gosh, what was I thinking? Turns out that when you give people clear expectations and you give them the tools to be successful, they actually are really good at being successful. But the thing that's blocking us from being able to do that is our impatience. And so we've got to be willing to say, I'm going to take the hour and 15 minutes to really think critically and slow down and turn off my phone and put onto paper what's actually going on here. And so let's highlight one more thing about delegation that's related to this that's really important. It's way better to delegate on the front end of your capacity than on the back end of your capacity. And I want to make sure I'm being clear in how I'm describing this. I would way rather you delegate from a posture of, hey, if I continue doing this for the next 90 days, I'm going to reach a spot where I'm code red. So I would like to take the time now to make sure that we're starting to delegate it effectively so that we never have to reach that point. But that's not what I typically do, and that's not what most leaders typically do. Most leaders reach the point where they are 
50% over capacity. They're stressed out. They're burned out. They, they're experiencing lack of sleep. They're holding on to too much. They're working too many hours. And it's from that posture that they then say, now I have to make an hour and a half to document what I'm actually doing. I can't even think straight. And that will crush you. And you'll get on that hamster wheel and you'll get into survival mode and you'll never get out of it. And so let's delegate on the front end. Let's be on the front end of our capacity. Let's constantly keep our eyes open and say, okay, I could see a future. This is vision. I could see a future where this could be too much. It may not be right now, but it could be in the future. So I need to start creating the documentation and plan for handing off this responsibility. You will buy yourself the ability to be patient because lots of you right now are operating in such a way you don't, you don't have the time or ability to be patient. If you be patient, your business goes out of business. I don't want that for you. And so we got to slow down and we got to do it on the front end. Have some big picture viewpoint. Look at the 360 degree nature of your calendar and of your organization. The impatience of the leader. Okay, let's move on to the final one. The perfectionism of the leader. If it has to be done perfectly from day one, the leader won't be willing to weather the inevitable mistakes, flaws, and failures associated with delegation. <laughs> that sentence packs a punch, so let's read it again. If it has to be done perfectly from day one, the leader won't be willing to weather the inevitable mistakes, flaws, and failures associated with delegation. I want to tell you the story of where I learned this. I was on a call with, uh, I think it was probably about nine CEOs, and it was kind of a mastermind format where the CEOs were collaborating with each other and working with each other to kind of identify challenges and then solve for them. And there were a wide variety of industries on the call, and I got to be the facilitator of this call. So we had met and they didn't know each other very well at this point. And there was one guy that volunteered, I think, to go third or fourth with his challenge or the thing that he was focused on. And the question that he posed to everyone is was a time management question. And he basically said, I need to figure out how to structure my calendar in such a way to where I'm able to be more productive and get more done. And I'm so glad people ask this. The first question that people ask is, where are you spending your time? What are you spending your time on that you feel like you need to be able to do more or you need to open up more space? And, and that's such a wise question to ask. I'm so glad someone asked it because so often we think, okay, I need to get better at how I'm using my hours. And in reality, what we should be saying is I need to get better at what I'm putting into my hours. And so they asked this question. They said, break it down by percentage. And he said a couple things and gave some percentages that were maybe a little bit concerning, but he said like, man, 15% on team culture, 10% on big client relations. Relationships. And then he said, probably about 45 to 50% on administrative time. <laughs> Everyone's face was like, what? 50%? And, and people just like kind of lost it on the call. People were like, what are you doing? Like, no, you don't need to make more time. You need to hand some of that stuff off. Stop doing the administrative work. And he looked at him and he kind of had this air about it <laughs> where he was like, no, you don't understand. And people were like, what do you mean we don't understand? And he, he said, this paperwork that we're doing, it's associated with this broker. He was in real estate and he said, it's associated with this broker and, and the brokerage firm we work with, man, they dot every I and check every T and man, they are just so detail oriented. And man, if we miss one detail, then I mean, they send it back and then we have to do it all over again. And it just slows down the business massively. And so I've got to do it. 
and everyone paused for a second. Some people actually accepted that argument and some people said, okay, well, you got to do it. And you and I hopefully both know after walking through this content, there's so much riddled with untruth in that statement that the group was about to dig into. And I'm so glad that someone didn't respond with an assertion. One of the CEOs, a very wise CEO, responded with a question. They said, hey, let me ask you a question. And he looked at me and said, okay. They said, how did you learn how to do this stuff? Because you're the one that's doing it all right now. And how did you learn how to do it? And he just looked at him and he said, oh, trial and error. And then it's like, no one even had to tell him the answer to his question. He had this light bulb moment where he said, oh, I gave myself the ability to make mistakes in the process of learning how to do this correctly, but I am unwilling to give my team that same tolerance and that same ability. And that's so many of us. Listen to me. If you want to hand off real responsibility, you've got to be accepting of the reality that people are going to make mistakes and people are going to have flaws. People are going to do things in ways that are different than the way that you would do things. And some of those things need to be addressed because they're core issues related to the way things are done and the outcomes that are accomplished. But as Casey Graham said on our podcast, some of those things aren't actually core issues. Some of them are just preferences. And so you need to first distinguish between core issues and preferences and say, what of these things do I actually need to speak up about because they pertain to the quality of the work and the way that we do the work? And which of these things are just opinions that I have? And I want you to remember, though, that you're going to hand stuff off to people and you, you can't have the expectation that they're going to be 100% of what you were in that arena right off the bat. And certainly don't have the expectation that they might be better than you. Give them time. Give them opportunity to learn from their mistakes. And that last piece is actually really crucial, to learn from their mistakes. There's so many leaders that I've worked with in the past year specifically where one of the things that we've come to the conclusion of is that their team makes mistakes but never experiences the consequences of them. And I don't mean that in like a disciplinary punishment type of way. I just mean that, man, when people make mistakes, you only learn from them if the stove is actually hot, right? If you touch a stove and every time the stove isn't hot, you're just going to keep touching stoves. There's people that literally have a condition that they don't feel pain. And so whenever there's things that are painful that they don't experience the consequences of because they don't feel it, it's actually really bad for them. And they end up getting horrendously burned and they'll end up chewing on their tongue and stuff like this. And this feels like a tangent, but you can see how it relates is it's actually really bad for people to not experience or to be sheltered from the consequences of their actions. It's damaging to them. And so think about what you experienced as a leader and as an owner. Well, when you made decisions that were bad, you experienced consequences associated with those decisions and you said, I'm never doing that again, right? And if you took actions that weren't correct, you learn from it because you said, okay, I saw the results that that created and I'm going to keep that on my mind and I'm going to be productively paranoid about that never happening again. And then we get mad whenever our team doesn't have that same approach and doesn't have that same mindset and doesn't have that same filter. You got to loosen your grip. You got to be willing to say, okay, if they can do it 80% as well as I can, I'm going to hand it off and I'm going to know that there's going to be some things in the 20% that I'm just going to have to bite my tongue a little bit and watch them learn through. 
It's so good for you to have the patience to deal with imperfection, but perfectionism won't be able to do that. The most effective impact-driven leaders that I know have a discerned ability to intuitively understand which fires they need to let burn and which ones they need to address. And some of you right now are freaking out <laughs> because I just said that there's some fires in your business that you need to intentionally let burn. And the reason why that is, is because if you try to address everything, you won't be able to accomplish anything. And so you need to say, okay, what are the areas that I need to step in? And what are the areas that we're going to let them learn through this imperfection? And we're going to eventually get it to where it needs to be, but we're going to accept that that can't happen all at once. The perfectionism of the leader is a blocker or an enemy of delegation. This connects to something that one of the members of our community, and you've heard him on this podcast as well, Gerald, is famous for saying, we've said we're going to make t-shirts that have Gerald Nichols' face on them and because he just sometimes tells people, man, the best way to find out is to let it burn. <laughs> people say, well, I, I don't know if they can handle this responsibility or I don't know if they can take on this task or I don't know if I can actually go on vacation. I don't know if I can actually uh, turn off my phone. And he said, man, the only way to find out is to let it burn. <laughs> I just love that. I, I just think it's so actually wise because truly the only way you find out if something can handle the stress is if you test it. You got to do a stress test and you got to see and you got to be willing to stand back and say, we're going to see how this goes. Now, don't do something that's going to put your business out of business, but allow people to take on responsibility. Give them the grace and the tolerance that you would give yourself the ability to make mistakes and learn from them. Okay, so let's review. We said that the impact-driven leader's greatest challenge is often the fact that their ability to create opportunity massively exceeds their ability to delegate it. So what is the leader who's practicing healthy growth consciously aware of? Their finite capacity, others' remarkable ability, and delegation as a development opportunity, not strictly a time management tool. And so it's crucial to understand that if we want to be effective in the arena of delegation and thereby leadership, then there's going to be some enemies that we have to reckon with and overcome. And as we go through these, I want you to really evaluate which is the one you struggle with most and what are you going to do with it? Insecurity of the leader, pride of the leader, aimlessness of the leader, distrust of the leader, impatience of the leader, and the leader's perfectionism. Y'all, I hope this is helpful content for you today. I hope that it opens your eyes and your mind and your heart for you and the people on your team to say, man, my issue isn't that I don't know how to delegate. The issue is that I haven't got my heart wrapped around why to delegate because there's so many blockers and enemies that I still have to overcome. And if we can name them and, and then if we can focus on them and say, we're going to get past that, well, man, you're going to look up one day and you're going to be a remarkably more effective delegator than you are today. One more thing before we go, uh, this content was actually originally written for a Worth It Wednesday. Worth It Wednesday is an email that we send out every single Wednesday because I believe most email isn't worth it. So we try to send one a week that is. You can read it in under three minutes. It's a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, a recommendation worth taking. It's content very related to what you heard in the podcast today, just in written form. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.